We're on the record. I'm Sheila Cass. Good morning. Fossil fuels, abatement, greenhouse gas emissions, all part of the negotiations at the 28th Annual United Nations Climate Change Conference, or COP28, that's wrapping up in Dubai. Gina Castillo, Climate Policy and Research Advisor for Baltimore-based Catholic Relief Services, is attending COP28. She's joining us by Zoom to tell us about it. Welcome to On the Record, Gina. Thank you. Also with us on Zoom is her colleague, Nikki Gamer, Senior Public Affairs Manager for CRS. Welcome back, Nikki. Thank you for having us. Gina, you have been at the conference, what, nearly two weeks? Yes. What has been the overall atmosphere at the UN Climate Change Conference? Hopeful? Wary? Tense? All those. All those emotions. Uh, lots of energy. I think we're very hopeful on a positive outcome. Um, you know, we're down to the last uh, days, so we're all very tired. The negotiators are very tired. But I think now it's we're just waiting. We're waiting for what the final outcomes are. Nikki, what what have you picked up on? Yeah, so I have heard it described, uh, these COPs, as a major industry conference, a congressional session, and an election night all rolled into one. So if you can imagine 90,000 people from around the world coming together to talk about a single issue that affects all of us, every person on the planet. And so as Gina says, you know, it, it's been exciting, it's been inspiring, people have been exchanging ideas. Um, but there's certainly apprehension because as we all know, as we hear in the news every day, time to act is running out, right? And we see this with more prolonged droughts, we see this with worse and worse storms, we see it in Maryland. And Gina and I attended a session today that was very profound. A boy who couldn't have been older than 12 from South Sudan got up in front of 800 people and he said, I deserve to go to school. Every child like me deserves to go to school. But our schools here have been flooded. We don't have enough to eat because of drought. And he called on all world leaders to do more. And that, to me, is the thread here at COP, is this thread of human dignity. Because every single person has a right to live, um, uh, live in a place that provides them with their basic human needs. And so it's voices like his that I'm gonna be taking home with me. I think that's the thread that that has been carried through COP. Gina, what have been some of the main takeaways for you? On day one, we got a landmark decision, um, the creation of a loss and damage fund, which is a fund to help um, countries to deal with extreme weather events that are happening now. This is something that countries have been fighting for, for decades. And so the fact that we got this agreement on day one uh, was very hopeful. Up till now, there have been pledges made. Uh, $700 million have been pledged to this new fund. Uh, and so I think that that was a major win and, and inspiring. So that's why I continue to hope that we'll get a positive outcome of this COP when it comes to uh, the critical issue, which is fossil fuel phase out. And that seems to be a big sticking point. It is. Uh, as you can imagine, um, we've been burning fossil fuels, and that's what's created the 
the problem. That's why we're in a climate crisis. And everyone, you know, the scientists know what needs to be done. They've told us what we need to, to do. And now it's really up to uh, countries and political will. We need to get emissions down, uh, to have them by 2030, to meet the critical 1.5 degrees Celsius or 2.7 degrees Fahrenheit. This is our North Star. We need to keep below that temperature because we know that if we pass it, there are critical tipping points that are going to just bring extreme, extreme suffering uh, to some of the world's poorest people, the people that CRS serves. Uh, Gina, you're representing Catholic Relief Services at the conference. What what role do faith leaders and, and faith-based organizations like Catholic Relief Services have in climate change awareness? Well, um, the Pope, as you know, has been the voice of, of, uh, of clarity. He's been the voice of inspiration. He's also been the voice of action. So... As a Catholic organization, uh, we're tremendously lucky to have the Pope, and he was supposed to be at the conference. Unfortunately, um, his health prevented him from attending, uh, but he has really inspired uh, young people who are very much present at COP. Um, so I think the faith voice has been really inspiring in terms of this global solidarity. We're all in this together. You know, global warming doesn't just stay here in Baltimore or in Boston where I live, but it's everywhere. It affects everyone ultimately. And so he has recognized this global solidarity, but also this compassion that it's those people who have the least means that are being affected. And I think that's the faith message, the the solidarity, the, the the need to help those who are most vulnerable, and also hope. I think that's the faith voice as well. Um, climate change can make you feel a bit uh, apocalyptic. That you know, um, the uh, that there's nothing to be done, and I think that's that would be a wrong message to send. We we have the power, and that's what Pope Francis also uh, invited leaders. We have the power to do things, to change the course. This isn't, it doesn't have to be this way. Nikki, what would you add about the role that faith organizations play at COP? To that point, you know, this was the first year that um, a UN climate conference has had a faith pavilion. And so, you know, faith leaders from different denominations came together to bring that moral voice, right? Um, we have our politicians, we have our negotiators, but the faith community is really here to provide that moral voice. Um, and I think that that is just really unique. And that's something, uh, as Gina said, you know, Pope Francis has been such an advocate for the environment. And he said something that I, that really sticks with me. He said, the climate is a common good belonging to all and meant for all. And it's, you know, simple words that that mean everything, right? Um, and so, so that's been heard loud and clear. This is On the Record. I'm Sheila Cass speaking with Catholic Relief Services Climate Policy and Research Advisor Gina Castillo. 
She's joining us via Zoom from COP28, the United Nations Climate Change Conference in Dubai. Nikki Gamer, Senior Public Affairs Manager for CRS, is also joining us from the conference. Um, Gina, tell us more. I know you were on a panel about the, the non-economic losses and damages uh, that result from the effects of climate change. Tell us more about what those are. In the climate policy discussions, um, there's two distinctions that are made when it comes to losses and damages. Economic, uh, things like if you lose a house, we can put a monetary value to that. And then the non-economic losses and damages. Uh, if your school is destroyed and you can't go to school for six months, you can't put an economic uh, value to that. So non-economic losses and damages refer to those intangible things that are so essential to our lives, to our communities, but yet they're very hard to put a monetary value. So in this panel, what we were discussing was the importance of bringing these two uh, perspectives together and how uh, any loss and damage fund needed to take into account these non-economic uh, dimensions because they're essential to what people value, to their well-being, to community well-being. So that was the the discussion. Nikki, how is CRS working with communities to mitigate those those non-economic problems? Well, I will say uh, just to to back up also uh, for the Maryland connection that. We were also involved in a panel where uh, Senator Ben Cardin of Maryland uh, was the keynote speaker. And Senator Cardin is the chair of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. And one of the issues that he was here to talk about was the connection between food security and climate change and talking about how, um, going back to the issue of drought, with more prolonged droughts, uh, you know, people, farmers are having a harder and harder time uh, to grow to grow food. And so, uh, you know, that was an issue that he really was speaking loud and clear on. And it's something that we address through our food security programming in places like Ethiopia and East Africa and Central America, where we are uh, working with farmers to provide uh, things like drought resistant seeds so that in the face of drought, um, you know, they'll still be able to uh, to grow food. Um, and so that is a, that's some of the programming. We also do health programming. We do education programming. We work with displaced populations. We work with migrants um, who are being displaced uh, more frequently because of climate change. And so, um, so those are just some of the programs that we do. Uh, but related to what we're asking for at COP is uh, climate finance and the need for more funding to be going to the types of programming that we implement um, so that we have the ability to support these communities in the face of all of these growing challenges. Gina, headlines uh, around the close of the conference are focusing on Saudi pushback against the idea of phasing out fossil fuels. If there is not an aggressive phase out, can there still be progress on the non-economic losses and damages? Uh, I think it's very hard. Um, we have to get to the root of the problem. We know what the problem is, and we know what we can do about it. So this COP will be judged on whether we will get language around fossil fuel phase-out. 
and that has to be the signal that comes out and I think it's the signal that we all hope because we have to stop the harm we we can't you know we can't continue to to do something that we know is harming people it's harming our biodiversity that we depend on so that has to be the headline that we need fossil fuel phase out and at the same time there has to be a strong language around helping um, as Nikki said those communities those countries that are really on the front lines of the crisis that have done nothing to create the problem and yet are experiencing those prolonged droughts those cyclones in places that have never ever uh, even seen cyclones uh, they're being hit and they have really no recourse and so I think that's what we want to see just stop the harm and start helping Nikki what have you witnessed that has made you hopeful yeah, yesterday I spent time talking to young people, and there are many uh, young activists here uh, who are on different panels, and there were some speaking on the on the plenary session today, and that makes me really hopeful because uh, you know they're not just twiddling their thumbs; they are they're raising their voices for their future, and I just think that is so inspiring. I I want my I would love for my nephews and my niece to get involved in that kind of work. Uh, because they are the future you know that to me is has been loud and clear that the young people are engaged and and not just americans um i met young people from all over the world and it's and, and that's been really inspiring and they, they are the adults in the room i've been in negotiating uh rooms and there's a, a special place for organizations led by young people to stand up and, and say something and they are the adults in the room that are, you know, calling on negotiators to find consensus, meet meet each other and get to a solution. So it's really inspiring um, to just watch them call out, you know, the behavior that they're seeing and just saying, we're watching you and it's unacceptable. You know, the world needs to come together and find solutions. I'm grateful to you both for taking time out of what must be really busy final hours of the conference. Thank you so much for this conversation. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Gina Castillo is a climate policy and research advisor for the Baltimore-based nonprofit Catholic Relief Services. Nikki Gamer is the senior public affairs manager for CRS. They've been talking with us from the 28th annual United Nations Climate Change Conference, or COP28, that comes to a close soon in Dubai. Short break on the record when we're back. Can Maryland cut greenhouse gases by more than half by 2031 and get the funding to do it? I'm Sheila Caste with us. I'm Al Waller. I'm Katherine Collinson. And I'm Mihaela Vince. In upcoming episodes of Clear Path, Your Roadmap for Life, 
We'll discuss ways to catch up on retirement savings and the importance of self-care. Tune in to WIPR's website and mobile app, all major podcast platforms, and transamericainstitute.org. Welcome back to On the Record. I'm Sheila Cast. We're talking today about the fight to tame climate change. We just heard from two Baltimore-based Catholic Relief Service staff members who are attending the UN World Climate Summit in Dubai. What are the policy issues here in the free state? Jamie DeMarco, the Maryland director of the Chesapeake Climate Action Network, joins us. He leads CCAN's Maryland Lobbying and Advocacy. Welcome to the show, Jamie. Thanks so much for having me here. It's great to talk with you. What is Chesapeake Climate Action Network? The Chesapeake Climate Action Network is an advocacy nonprofit organization that's been around for 20 years fighting for a better, less polluting world in Maryland, Virginia, D.C., and on Capitol Hill. We've had a lot of victories transforming the energy landscape in this region. And if you want to join in on the fun, go to ChesapeakeClimate.org. <laughs> what a pitch. Um, a lot of victories. Yes, yes. Name, we've, name two. We've banned fracking in Maryland. It's the only state in the country to ban fracking through legislation. And we've also set a 50% clean renewable portfolio standard for Maryland and 100% clean energy standard in Virginia. And 100% in D.C. as well. Um, the General Assembly voted last year to pass the Climate Solutions Now Act. What is it? The Climate Solutions Now Act is a landmark piece of legislation for Maryland that will bring this that sets the strongest greenhouse gas pollution reduction goals in the country. Maryland is now required by law to reduce our greenhouse gas pollution 60% by 2031 and eliminate our net pollution by 2045. 60% by 2031. That's eight years from now. Yes. Is that plausible? It is 60% below 2006 levels. Um, So it's not 60% below today's levels. We're actually more than halfway there um, to meeting our 60% below 2006 levels by 2031 legal mandate. Is it still a realistic goal? Yes, it is still very much achievable. In fact, um, the state has put out a pathway report of one possible pathway that gets us there. So we know they already know one way to do it. And later this month, as I'm sure as we'll talk about in a minute, they're going to put out their final plan. Well, what I was going to talk to you about in a minute was um, (laughs) Chesapeake Climate Action Network and more than three dozen other organizations and businesses sent a letter to Governor Westmore last week with the title, Get It Done by 31. What are you asking of the governor? So this month, the Climate Solutions Now Act requires that by the end of this month, Governor Moore release the final plan for the state for how we are going to achieve that pollution reduction goal of 60% by 2031. And when he puts that plan out, the main thing we're looking for and that this letter is about is making sure the investments are there, making sure that Governor Moore is committing to a funding mechanism and the investments necessary to meet our goal. Well, I mean, your letter notes the Moore administration already has invested in offshore wind, solar, electric cars. How much more investment are you calling for? As you said, the governor has had a tremendous first year, especially on climate issues. He has been a real champion in this first year. Offshore wind, community solar, making that permanent. He's also expanded and increased the uptake of electric vehicles. He's appointed climate champions to key positions in agencies and at the Public Service Commission. 
And what we need now, none of those policies, as great as they are, are really investing new dollars in the way that President Biden, through the Inflation Reduction Act, his landmark legislative achievement, invests in the clean economy. We know that these are the best investments that you can make. They pay for themselves many times over, lower energy costs, bringing more good jobs, reducing health impacts, and also um, reducing our contribution to climate change. Many other governors in other states have done this. They've modeled the way that gov- what Governor Moore should do. You know, look at Gavin Newsom in California, who's invested $10 billion just in the transportation sector. Or Governor Hochul in New York, who's invested $4 billion just this year in buying more clean energy for the state. This scale of billions of dollars in new investment is what we are looking for Governor Moore to do. Well, the Climate Solutions Now Act is a legally binding goal, right? I mean, what happens if it is not met? Oh, you're absolutely right. This is not a nice to have. It's not a, it'd be great if we did it. This is a legally binding mandate from the legislature. And if the state fails to meet it, they'd ultimately make themselves liable to a lawsuit for failing to meet their legal mandates. That's Jamie DeMarco, Maryland Director of the Chesapeake Climate Action Network. Here on the record on WYPR, I'm Sheila Cast. We're talking about why CCAN and more than 40 organizations and businesses are urging Governor Moore to adequately fund climate change policies. I don't want to give up on the, on the dollars. Maryland already has made a lot of long-term commitments, in particular, the changes that the blueprint for Maryland's future is making in K-12 education already are costing billions of dollars and much more will be needed. Is it realistic to argue for billion-dollar investments? You're absolutely right that the state is projected to have budget shortfalls in the coming years, and we are sensitive to that. And at the same time, these are simply the best investments that you can make. And if someone, if a leader is committed to making them, we can absolutely make them. If Governor Moore champions this and with our Democratic supermajority in the legislature, it is entirely possible to fully fund our education and make the necessary investments in climate change that we're asking for. Do you see tax increases needed? There's lots of options on the table. One option that the Chesapeake Climate Action Network loves is something called the Renew Act, the responding to emergency needs from extreme weather that would make the largest international fossil fuel companies, none of which are based in Maryland, but knew and lied about this crisis, pay for these costs. Another option that was put forward in the Pathway Report is a cap and invest, which we already, Maryland has a cap and invest program on our electricity emissions, where there's a put a cap on how much you can emit to create electricity in our region. And then the proceeds from that are invested in cleaner solutions. We could expand that to the rest of the economy. So what is your best case scenario for the governor's response? What would you most like to hear? We would. There are many things that we would love to see in the governor's climate plan. And that includes an air quality equipment standard that would help to clean up pollution from gas furnaces in our homes. I just learned this recently and it blew my mind, but there's more air pollution in Maryland from gas furnaces in our homes than there is air pollution from power plants in Maryland. Every one of our gas furnaces has a little smokestack and an air quality equipment standard would help to reduce that pollution. We could also, we also need additional investments in reducing vehicle miles traveled uh, by cars in Maryland. And we wanna see systematic engagement in underserved overburdened communities in Maryland on top of the necessary investments. Climate change policy work can be slow and daunting. What what keeps you going? What gives you optimism? I really think that we can have a better world. 
that one day we're going to wake up and we're going to get all the electricity we need from wind and solar in our state instead of sending money out of our state. Our air isn't going to make us sick when we breathe it. Our energy prices won't go up when foreign leaders on the other side of the world invade their neighboring country. And we are going to have the good jobs um, to live healthy and sustainable lives. And we need to make the investments now to get there. And that's what keeps me going. Thanks, Jamie. Thank you so much. Jamie DeMarco is the Maryland Director of Chesapeake Climate Action Network. We've been talking about the Get It Done by 31 letter signed by more than 40 businesses and nonprofits pressing Governor Westmore to invest in a strong climate plan and allocate the funds to implement it. We've got a link to the letter and more information at the On the Record page at WYPR.org. I'm Sheila Cass. Glad you're with us on the record. Come back tomorrow. <laughs>